Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I am Tracy Hotchner, your dog's best friend and your kitty cat's best friend, bringing you authors and experts every week to enhance your appreciation of the pets who share your lives. If you would like to hear episodes of this show you may have missed, please go to RadioPetLady.com and visit the podcast library. You can also listen to all the Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with pet experts, including Cat Chat, The Pet Cancer Vet, Good Dogs, The Expert Vet, Exotic Pets, Holistic Vets, Pet Food Advisors, Humane Talk, and Authors on Animals. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content, and is brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, Precious Cat Litter, and Waruva, a privately owned pet food company named after the owner's rescued cats, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Their brands are Waruva, Cats in the Kitchen in Pouches, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brand, created for finicky felines and fussy little dogs. All their cans and pouches are made in a human food facility, which means that every ingredient is good enough for people to eat, if your kitty will share. I have such a fascinating lineup of guests today. I have David Ladowitz, who has created little cat labs. You're going to find out how to get a skinny cat. If you've got a chubby cat, which would be half of the people out there, we're going to slim down your cat. Then Nancy Taylor, who's the director of Bideweed, the beneficiary of the Dog Film Festival in October. October, we're going to talk about memorial parks and the pet cemetery that they have um, out on the island. Pretty interesting. And then have you ever wondered where all those chihuahuas come from? Well, there's a wonderful long-haired Chihuahua breeder in Texas. Chihuahuas we love. Linda Jangula is going to be talking to us about Chihuahuas and how to make them, make them the real dogs they were always meant to be. I'm going to jump right in and say hi to David Ladowitz in California. David, you got in touch with me because you had a fat cat and you're doing something about it. Tell me, tell me your story because it's so original. Yeah, so I took my cat to the vet, uh, one of my cats to the vet a couple months ago, and I took it for a problem with, uh, it had a bump on its chin, and I thought, I don't know what this is, oh my God. And I got there and I said, oh, that's a pimple, don't worry about it, acne. But she noticed right away, she said, your cat is overweight, you need to put your cat on a diet. Uh, it's, it's just, it's going to be a problem as the cat gets older. The cat is about 10 years old, so it's getting up there. Uh, and then I started kind of researching what, what can I do, what should I do, uh, to, to help with this. And, you know, the obvious thing is I like, give them a little bit less food and exercise them more. Um, and I started, you know, I think the thing is I started that, but it was really hard to know is it working. Like, you don't, I look at a cat and I can't tell, did it lose one ounce today? Did it lose two right. ounces today? Did it lose right. a pound over the last right. two months? I don't, you know, it's who knows. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm always like a big, I'm an engineer, a web, a web uh, developer by nature. And I'm always a believer of kind of tracking things. Yes. So I thought like, what if we could actually track the weight of this cat over time with that? I think that would help me as the owner stay motivated. Um, yes, that's, that's definitely. Definitely. That's that's a really good point, actually, about the motivation for the owner. Because on my show, The Expert Vet with Dr. Donna, we have the Halo Healthy Weight Challenge. And we mm. send a shout out if anyone has an overweight dog. If you will join us, she comes up with the most precise dissection of what you're feeding your dog, everything that passes his lips and adds up those calories and how many fewer calories you need to be feeding in order to get a slow and steady weight loss. And yes, there's a weekly weigh-in. But dogs and cats are completely different nutritionally and metabolically. And that's the, the, the rub, if you will, with veterinarians who don't seem to understand, and it's not entirely their own fault that they didn't ever use their own common sense, that the obligate carnivore, which is the cat, should only be eating protein. 
there should be at the maximum 5%, maybe 6% of carbohydrates in the diet of the feline, which unless it has an underlying medical condition, like let's say a thyroid condition or some other condition, it should never get fat if it's eating only protein because that's how its engine is engineered. You as an engineer would understand if you put, you know, diesel fuel in your Ferrari, not going to run very well or very far. So rather than reducing calories in a cat, which will not take off weight or increasing exercise, which maybe the cat will have fun, maybe you will too, never, never a mistake to, you know, get in shape. If you were to replace the carbohydrates with protein, that is to say, get rid of kitty crack, which is a phrase that I coined when I had my show on Sirius XM. And I hope, I wish has gotten into common parlance. It's not meant in a fun or attractive or nice way because crack itself is actually a horrible drug, addictive that destroys families and kills people. And kitty crack, which is any dry food, which is a highly processed carbohydrate food, all dry food is a highly processed carbohydrate, whether or not it says grain-free or not is irrelevant. It's made from dough, basically, that's boiled boiled or baked or fried or in some way, after being extruded, made into kibble. Instead, if you were to give a canned food, then you would find that the very fat that's been packed on, and it's not just on your under your cat's skin, it also gets packed around the liver, which becomes highly dangerous for the cat's health, not only while it's fat, but while it's losing weight, which is another thing that, that one has to be careful of, is you can get fatty lipidosis, you can get actually, the cat can get very sick if it doesn't want to eat nice canned real food and stops eating, then that fat that's packed around the liver, because it gets packed around all the organs, can create actually a health crisis. But that aside, we did a Waruva healthy, uh, we did a Waruva biggest kitty loser contest on Sirius XM on Cat Chat. And hundreds of people took the pledge. All it was, you don't have to do anything. It's like Weight Watchers. Although, Mm -hmm. as you point out, you couldn't really weigh them. You just promise that for two weeks, just give it a try. Everybody raise their hand, raise their paw and say, for two weeks, I will not feed any kitty crack. I will put away the dry food. I will replace it with a high quality canned food where Ruva makes their food in a human food facility. Halo pate food is only 5% carbs. Dr. Donna helped develop it, which is extraordinarily low. And in two weeks, you'll find a cat not only losing weight, but they feel better. They actually become more energetic. They self exercise, they start to shed less and get shinier within weeks. I didn't actually know about these other benefits, but people would also report their cats became friendlier, happier, more affectionate. It's like, wow, because that's how lousy they felt eating all those highly processed carbs that were just slowing them down and packing on weight. In, In your looking around as an engineer and as a researcher, did you find that message anywhere? Feed. Oh, I, I, I did find it. I found it kind of mixed sometimes. I, I, I found some people saying you should kind of like split the food back and forth. Um, but I, I definitely saw a lot more of feeding, feeding it wet food, um, which is, I guess, protein uh, as opposed to the dry food, which is carbohydrates. Well, that's right. And in fact, some canned foods, some cheaper canned foods, some of them have even gone so far as to basically take a dry food, put a bunch of moisture into it and put it in a can. It's the same. Yeah carbs, they're still highly processed. Now they've re-moisturized them, but it needs to be a high quality canned food. Uh, I did have a a chart once on on my website. I I should be 
much more organized. The website's relaunched, so I, it's going to be in there. I'm I'm guaranteeing it. By the time you hear this this story, I, it will be up there. It'll have loads of suggestions of foods, both in the supermarket, of which there are not so many high quality, but there are some, and specialty pet stores and online. All of the various brands, whether it's Waruva, Halo, Tiki, Cat, a number of other very nice brands. And the idea of switching back and forth would be like saying, okay, so we're just going to give a little kitty crack because the cat seems to like it. And that'd be like saying your teenager starts smoking and you say, well, honey, I I really should only have (laughs) one cigarette after dinner. And so back and forth is like saying, oh, okay, you're off of your addiction because it actually is, as an engineer, you wouldn't be surprised to know that this food is made by food engineers, just as human fast food is made by food engineers who have found chemicals to put into the food that goes directly to the pleasure center of the humans when it's fast food, of the pets when it's their food, and creates the the desire for more in an addictive way, creates that kind of a, I, a I neural think, pathway. I think it's really interesting. I, I see sort of this mimicking of, of the human population. I think that's that's kind of interesting that, you know, this is coming up now in the last couple of years in the human population, like all the sugar that You're we right. eat, all the mm-hmm. carbs we eat. Yep. And, and that's actually one of the ways I, I kind of, I just started thinking about myself and I was actually cutting carbs in my life. And then I, kind of naturally started looking at my cats because they're so close to me. And I was like, oh, maybe I could extend some of these practices because I was yes. winning myself all the time and tracking that. And how can I extend this exact same practice to somebody, to a cat that's nearby me? That's actually a really, I've never thought, thought of that, that phrasing, extend the practice, but it is extend the practice of feeding food that's recognizable, that's made from a recognizable protein source. So the first thing on the on the can has to say chicken or the name of the fish right. or the name of the meat. And then there's always water and people think, well, wait a minute, I'm paying all this money for water. No, actually their food is the only way that the feline is supposed to take in fluid. Moisture is from the, the bodily fluids of their prey. They're not actually, right. they're, they're desert animals. They're not genetically programmed, if you will, to drink water. They're very bad at drinking water. They, don't, they aren't good at it. Their tongue isn't actually um, designed for that. So the ones who drink, it's usually because the dehydration of the dry food is drying them out from the inside out, and they're seeking the natural moisture that should have been in their food. The thing mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing, the thing that we have to figure out, and you're right about the weigh-in, and we do it with the Halo Healthy Weight Challenge on the Expert Vet. And now we have Levi the Pug, who's so overweight. It's not a grotesque, but he's enough overweight that he needs eye surgery to save his sight. And the vet oh, wow. won't do it when he's fat. And with humans, we hear that. You know, they won't do a surgery yeah. on someone unless it's life-threatening situation, unless they get the weight off. Yeah. It's a lot easier to get it off of pets than people, as it turns out. Because, of course, we have more self-control for our pets than we do for ourselves. There. But it's also, you know, I guess you could say less temptation because they don't have the opposable thumb to open the bag or, or open the, the pantry or get in the car and drive right. to the fast food drive through. But um, what's she's able to weigh Levi on a kitchen scale or on her own scale. Mm-hmm. She has a digital scale. I'm wondering, I don't know, there's a lot of pretty good step on scales for people if mm-hmm. your cat was – nine or 10 pounds, you could almost fit them on a kitchen weighing scale or the, you know, the kind of scales for food, or you could do it on a really good step on scale, taking your cat to the vet every week to weigh them. All the vet might be willing to do it. The, oh, cat, yeah, the cat might not be willing to do it, but, right. but yeah, that's, it will, that's actually, and that's, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're absolutely right about this, tracking it to keep you doing it so you don't fall off the wagon and offer kitty crack when the cat's meowing and acting, you know, like like his addictive substance has been removed, which it has. Right. And there's, I would say there's, there's a number of steps I've gone through. I, I first started with my human scale, which is, oh, it's a good step. It's good if you have it and it's lying around, but they're generally not very accurate for yes. that weight. They're usually accurate to about uh, 0.2 or fifth of a pound, which you're not going to see change very Good fast. point. Good um, point. The next step is I actually bought uh, some baby scales, and I, I've actually been playing around with three different baby scales. Oh, my God. Um, you're you so cool. Amazon, you can you can buy they're actually scales. A lot of them call, are, say, baby slash pet scales, and there's a lot of people doing this already. No and those kidding. Are great cause those are great because those will be accurate down to about to less than an ounce. Um, they also wow. generally have a feature called the hold feature, which when you push it, because your, your cat is going to move around a little bit, right. it will take an average over about 30 seconds. So, you're you know, you might not be exactly right, but you're, you're, you're pretty close. And if you just keep doing that over and over again, you're, you know, you're not off by more than maybe half an ounce. And, and over time, that doesn't really matter. So how much um, does a baby pet scale cost? Is it pretty affordable? Uh, they're, the ones I bought were about $45. Um, That's a pretty so good investment not, in your cat's yeah. health. If you can get the right. weight off your cat and keep it right. off by checking in every so often. Although once you get them on wet food, you're never going to go back to the kitty crack in a bag. Your head's out right. of the bag. The cat's head is out of the bag. You're feeding two wet meals a day. And if you're giving treats, you're giving real little pieces of meat or chicken or fish or a Halo Live a Little or a Whole Life Pet, which is freeze-dried pure protein. So the weight would actually never come back on your cat. Cats can't get fat because normally, unless the food scientists mess with their brain chemistry, they eat until they're full. I mean, we've seen this with cats who hunt. If they're full, they will still kill some more mice or even, God forbid, a bird, but mostly rodents. And they're not, they're not doing it for hunger. They're doing it for just yeah. the sport of hunting, which is what they're genetically programmed to do. So once they're full, they don't eat till they're going to explode unless they're eating an unnatural food that keeps telling their brain, eat more, eat more, eat more. Um, yeah. I don't know if your own vet uh, gave you the the party line, I like to call it, uh, the, the absolute logical nonsense that dry food cleans the teeth of dogs and cats. Have you ever heard that myth? Uh, sorry, dry food what? It cleans their teeth, and that's why you should feed oh. kibble, that it cleans their teeth. I have heard that. I don't think my vet told me that, but I, I have heard that. Okay, so that you know, now that you're Mr. Little Cat Labs and you're really yeah. you're into this, this is your yeah. and I would love to link on on my website and my Facebook and stuff to what you're doing. I think it's fantastic yeah. and to motivate other people to get weight off their cats. You know what? It, you have a statistic on your website that fifty percent of cats are overweight, right? Yeah, and actually, that was one of my questions too. I, I read that over and over again, and I'm and I'm in the point now because this is all pretty new still that I'm really talking to vets and people in the industry, and I'm trying to find out like their firsthand experience. Is that what they see? And is that, is that something you see with your callers and, and the people you work with? David, I think actually there's probably 80 or 90% of cats are overweight and it's people have just forgotten what a normal cat looks like. A normal cat is nine or 10 pounds, slim, mm. sleek, very agile. Uh, we we see these blown up cats in TV commercials and in ads in, in print. We're showing obese cats. These companies are showing obese cats as if they were normal. We all see school kids in the schoolyard, too fat to even play or run around. That's become some kind of normal. This is all from the chemicals in the food. It isn't just the carbs. You mentioned sugar. It's the chemicals. It's why in Europe, until they start putting our chemicals in their food uh, and corn syrup, but mostly the chemicals, people there 
eat plenty of food and they don't get fat like we get. Um, and right. it's, you know, it's not that they had the glass of red wine with, with, with lunch because that's touted as being the French way to stay slim. Your cat doesn't need red wine. Your cat just needs a protein diet. And so, you know, you're going to talk to vets who have been taught since vet school, which I've talked about a lot on the, on the air, that the companies that make the most money, they make the most money from the dry food. That's where the profit is. And they've been told that's the only thing that should be fed. It doesn't clean cats' teeth. It actually leaves a film on their teeth that requires more cleaning. Uh, so that is a myth. And uh, tartar and plaque bu- build up from the fats and, and, and appealing things that are sprayed onto dry food. And cats, in any case, don't chew up at the gum line. They chew on the grinding surface. And dogs, alternately, don't chew at all. They just inhale. So I think what you're going to find is that People don't know their cat is overweight, so I would love in, in wrapping up to say that if little cat labs could both ask people, is your cat overweight, but also tell them, help them understand, show them images on your website of what a natural, healthy 9 or 10-pound cat looks like, that profile, that you know side view, top view is what your cat right. needs to look like, and it's a great goal to get people to go to. So, Yeah, uh, I think that's interesting because the thing that I'm noticing is like, most people, like I, I talk, I, I talk to vets. I'm reading, and, and and all the experts agree cats are overweight, and most owners don't really know. And I think that's because, like as humans, we see the TV and we see yep, exactly. other people, and we see magazines. That's and see, right. And some of those stuff is unhealthy, but a lot of it, at least, at least it's 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 helping us try to like avoid being very overweight. But cats, no, not really, not like, really. Oh, it's not it, that amount of overweight is bad enough. So we've run out of time, but I want people to go to littlecatlabs.co and, and see what David's up to. Embrace his idea. No amount of fat is okay. Your cat has no good reason to be fat. Just feed them protein from a can and lose the kitty crack. David, thanks for getting in touch. Thanks for being with us. I'm going to check out those baby pet scales, too, at Amazon. Have a great day. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, David. Um, I'll be right back after this quick word. I'll be back with Nancy Taylor from Bidewee. And we're going to learn about memorial parks. This show is supported by Vectra and Vectra 3D, the safe and effective parasite treatments you put on your pet's skin every month to create an invisible shield that repels and kills parasites on contact. Parasites that are a health hazard to all members of your family. Vectra is the anti-flea topical treatment that kills all three life cycles of the flea. Vectra 3D is the anti-tick protection. Only for dogs, not intended for cats, but after the two-hour drying period, they can be around a dog who's been treated. Vectra is waterproof and safe for dogs, cats, and for the people in your family, too, with protection proven to last a full 30 days. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality pure omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils, which our bodies cannot produce but need on a daily basis. Omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, are natural anti-inflammatories used by the body for skin, bone, and joint health and for brain function. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness to provide their oils to people and their pets for optimal health on a cellular level. I am back with Nancy Taylor, who for a long time has been the director of Bidewee, a most remarkable, amazing adoption rescue memorial park of 
training and medical care facility in Manhattan, in West Hampton Beach and in Wonton. It's just wonderful to have you here, Nancy. You and I were attached at the hip at one point when I had a radio show in New York City called Dog Talk and Cat Chat. And and we've worked together before. And it's just wonderful to be back with you because you, you by the way, are the beneficiary of the Dog Film Festival. And that's something I'm very honored and excited about having that connection to you. So it's wonderful to have you here on Dog Talk. Well, we're so excited to partner with you on uh, that great upcoming event. And I'm thrilled to be here today to talk about memorializing pets. Exactly, which really speaks to the whole human-animal bond, particularly dogs and cats, and the fact that it wasn't that many, well, I should say years, it's more like decades ago that there was a satirical film documentary made about the idea of a pet cemetery and how ridiculous was that. And in fact, I think the only legal that I know of pet cemetery in the sort of tri-state area is the the beautiful one that Bidewee has. And now people are seeking a way to memorialize their pets, to bury them, to have funerals, to have dignity around the end of their life. So you've seen an amazing transformation. I I think just in my lifetime, we've seen pets move from living in the yard to living in the house and a lot of changes came with that. I think that at the same time, uh, there's been a lot of urbanization in this country and families are fragmented. People don't live near their relatives. Couples choose not to have children. Divorce rates are high. So a lot of people, I think, have chosen to get their social support from their pets and and pets have progressed from being things that you owned to being part of the family and people want to memorialize their pets these days just like they would the other members of their family. And in fact, the the whole idea of cremation and ashes, now that's been around for a while. And I myself, but I'm the most unsentimental person. I just can't help it. I just am not sentimental. I never really wanted to have my pet's ashes around. My sister's little dog, Luca, who was half Corgi, half Jack Russell, those ashes in that box, they are like in a position of, of importance in whatever home she and her husband might have even moved to. It's just always there. The idea of going both from cremation, individual cremation of your pet, and then having the ashes and having some sort of urn for them is something that some more than a few people do. But the idea of actually burying in a cemetery just for pets when I is is still something that I don't think other that people know is available. Now the 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 facility that you have that has a memorial park where you can do you can you only bury the body or the ashes, or can you also do memorial stone without those two elements? So we, by the way, has two memorial parks, one in Nassau County in Wanta and one in Suffolk County in West Hampton. And 
currently, we have between those two parks about 65,000 oh animals buried in plots. Wow. And they have all manner of uh, memorial markers. They have headstones. There are monuments. There are bronze plaques. But we also have opportunities to memorialize a pet's ashes uh, in sort of a columbarium where you can maintain the ashes in perpetuity and mark the stone that covers it uh, with some memorialization of your particular pet. Do you find, I'm just astonished at the number and also at the complexity and choices that people make about how important it is to them to have a place to go visit their pet's remains So it's both for themselves, but it is for posterity, which is also true of people sometimes when they bury someone. They want a marker. They were here. They mattered. They they aren't just, you know, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. We We want it to be known this was a very loved family member, and they're here. And years later, decades later, someone can come by and say, well, look at that. Look at how those people loved Fluffy. Do you find that people come to the memorial parks to visit them the way people visit human graveyards out of uh, fascination with what has come before, even if it's not their own personal remains? Absolutely. Our Wanta Pet Memorial Park is almost uh, 100 years old. It will be 100 years old next year. And uh, it's fascinating to walk through uh, the very serene, restful grounds and read the stones and the things people have written on them about their pets. But currently, we see people come there every single day, and people come to visit their own pet's graves and to spend time in a park-like setting. And we see people uh, decorate their pet's graves with flowers uh, at important times of the year. Uh, Occasionally, we see holiday lights at holiday time. And a lot of people uh, in more of a religious marking will put a stone at the top of the headstone each and every time they come to visit the pet's grave. And that's part of the Hebrew tradition, yes? Yes. And we see um, our Wanta Memorial Park happens to have the grave of checkers that was Richard Nixon's dog. And people come there all the time and ask to see Checker's grave and mark it with all kinds of things to indicate that they have been there and paid their respects. Is that the darndest thing? Do you happen to know the history of how that dog wound up with you? When I came to work at Baidui seven years ago, I 
unearthed correspondence between Rosemary Woods oh, and my the Pet goodness. Memorial Park manager making arrangements to have Checker's body forwarded to us. And it's been lost over time. I can't find it. Oh, it's my very God. Sad. It, be, it is sad because it'd be kind of neat to have it to have it permaplaqued or whatever the fancy modern way is of, of permanenting it. Isn't that extraordinary? Well, there, I, I forget where the Nixons lived on their time off. The Reagans were in California. I sort of thought the Nixons were, but maybe not because the other pet memorial park that I know about, the one about, about which the, the very clever satirical documentary was made many decades ago is in Calabasas. And by some bizarre kind of ghoulish coincidence, it was literally cheek by jowl. It shared a fence, but it was a chain link fence on the driveway of the horse show barn where I kept two of my horses. So I went every single day with my wonderful golden retriever, Roma in tow, who was one of those amazing dogs that just could be at a barn with no leash, knew to stay outside the ring, knew my horse from 20 other horses in the ring. When I came out of the ring, then she'd leap up and follow us back down to the barn. And what was right next to us was that memorial park, which had, as you say, statues and granite headstones and column-like things and and uh, quite a lot of people coming and going. But I didn't know that there were any others. Are there very few in the country or are you not – it's obviously not the guardian of no, that knowledge. I'm just curious if you know if there are many others or if people have to ship their animals from far and wide to you. Well, people do ship their animals far and wide to us. Um, but I think that given the rise in the number of pets in households in this country and the amount of money that people are willing to spend on their pets yes. currently, uh, we've seen a rise in interest with uh, organizations and companies and individuals wanting to get into the afterlife care of pets. And I think there are now something like 700 organizations or companies right. that offer some part of afterlife care for pets, whether it's uh, burial or cremation or selling uh, urns or pet jewelry with some right. kind of artifacts yes. from the pet, uh, that, hair, ashes. Right. Yes, they make they make uh, bracelets and pendants that have some of the pet's ash somehow baked into them or somehow. I, I talked to somebody whose sister had had a tattoo of her pet that had some of the pet's ashes embedded in Nancy, it. Nancy, that is not something that our dermatologists would probably think was a groovy probably idea. Probably not. not. Well, it, it, at, it, at Bidewee, is it is it like a, a, a funeral home? Is it like Frankie Campbell on on a on Madison Avenue? I mean, do you is there are there packages? Do, do you offer all of these various options, or does someone have to kind of outsource them? Yes, we do. Uh, it's not it's not as posh as that. Right. A little more Spartan than that, but uh, we do pickup of pets. 
uh, in the boroughs and wow. uh, on Long Island and in a few areas of New Jersey, we'll bring the pet to one of our parks, uh, either bury it or cremate it. Uh, people can come there. Uh, oftentimes, families want to view their pet. Uh, when it's uh, ready for burial. So we have a viewing room no where families kidding. can sit in privacy and reflect wow. on their great life. Um, and they can choose from a variety of uh, caskets, big, small, uh, urns, headstones. And uh, unlike human burial, people with pets can have the option to either pay for annual maintenance of their gravesite or perpetual maintenance wow. of their gravesite. We don't have that? The human cemetery doesn't have that option? It's all perpetual in a human oh, cemetery. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Wow, this is riveting. I, I don't think that most people know that when your pet dies, if they die in the vet hospital, that even a fairly small veterinary hospital has like a walk-in freezer. It's a little creepy to think of, but on the other hand, where would they be putting your pet's body before it was sent off to be cremated or to simply be disposed of in whatever that mysterious way is that one doesn't actually want to ask? So if the pets are frozen and then which is the safest way to maintain them. And then you pick them up. I mean, maybe being Long Island, maybe you can pick them up when they're recently died. But how? this is, maybe you don't know the answer to this, and maybe it's just like too particular, but I hadn't thought of this before. If they're frozen, then how do you put them into a casket in a way where their limbs fold up correctly? And especially for the viewing, because you want to make them like a human viewing, look bet okay. Right. I mean, they, they shouldn't look in a contorted like they died in the Pompeii lava in a strange position. Do they position them? With, I mean, I never thought of this before. Maybe you're going to say, Tracy. How yes, do I yes. Yes, they do position them. I I don't really know exactly what happens behind the curtain. Right. But I do know that a lot of people prefer to see their pets laid out and I'm unaware of any complaints anybody <laughs> ever made about the appearance. I, I just think it, ne it never crossed my mind. I mean, I didn't even think I that there think were open casket viewings. This is absolutely extraordinary and obviously speaks in a very profound way to the, the, the great value that that life meant to the people that lived with the animal. I mean, for so many people, the grieving goes on for a very, very, very long time. In fact, We've had experts on the show talk about it being often worse than the loss of a human family member and the grief being something that doesn't even, if the word resolve is a correct verb, as, as quickly. I would think that having a memorial park and a place to go to have those feelings has that ritual in and of itself has so much value. I mean, otherwise, throughout history, why would we have a burial ground be so important, right, in, in all cultures right. across all centuries? I, I'm wondering... You have 65,000 animals. Did the forefathers of Baidui think how big the acreage was they should put aside? Because at some point, do you, are you, is there no room at the inn or is that not an issue? We, um, 
if I could just go back a little bit sure. about grief for animals, a lot of people do grieve uh, very profoundly for their animals, and in some cases, it goes on for a long time. And in recognition of that grieving process, we have pet loss support groups. Yes, so we very actually important. do bereavement groups at all three of our locations that meet monthly. And, um, you know, in the workplace, it may or not be appropriate to carry on about your grief That's right. about your lost cat or dog, particularly men find it very hard to share their feelings about yes. that in that venue. But we found that our grief groups are a wonderful way for people to uh commune with other people sharing Absolutely. similar feelings and work through it. I, so I didn't that, need that's to That's a really good interrupt. point. It, you, no, you have to bring that up because it's a, it's a fantastic value to the, to the community, the greater and larger community. Just to wrap up the, the idea of there being enough space for many more animals. If that many animals have been buried there before or leading up to in the hundred years, then so many more pets and them being so much more higher value part of our lives is there going to be enough room for the, the next influx? I mean, is there loads of acreage? Because the, the land on Long Island is worth a whole lot more money now than it was 100 years ago. It was just well, a bunch of potato and duck farms then. We're very fortunate that our West Hampton property is expansive. And it was donated to us by the author and humorist P.G. Woodhouse back I in the 50s. I didn't realize that. And it's 155 acres. We don't have to worry. There is room for all of us there. Uh, what about, just a quick word, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this, people that want their pets' remains to be buried with them in their human casket, in their human grave. Is there, are there rules against that, or we don't really know? You obviously can't um, bury humans in your, in your memorial park. Well, actually, uh, you can. <gasps> Really? So, I'd so much rather be buried around pets than around other people. You could bury about, people? About a year and a half ago, the New York State passed an amendment to pet cemetery law that enables pet cemeteries to bury human cremains in a pet cemetery. I have to tell you, this is like the bombshell, amazing piece of news I've ever heard. If ever, the, I mean, what could be more beautiful? That is so incredible. Good for New York State. That is, I'm, I'm no, I guess now people will be coming from many other states, not just for their pets, but maybe for themselves too. People like the idea of going across the Rainbow Bridge with their pets, whether it's at the same time or different times. But, but how amazing. I, I think it's, uh, enlightened. It is. Enlightened is the perfect word. Nancy Taylor, what an incredible place by the way is. We haven't even had a chance to talk about the extraordinary medical care, dental care, and all the great adoption facilities. You're going to have to come back. We're going to have to do some more crowing about <laughs> by the way in the, in the months ahead. And, and everyone knows the Dog Film Festival is October 2nd and 3rd. You can already buy posters and branded leashes, Dog Film Festival, and the Net proceeds, 
all the profits go directly to Bide So that's something to go to dogfilmfestival.com and check it out because it, it's really fun to be part of all the good things Bide does and all the great fun of the Dog Film Festival. Nancy, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you, you in person in October, but I really, you really do have to come back. You have, you have amazing information and news to tell us about great advances in society on behalf of pets, and, and we need to know more about it. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Take Bye-bye. Care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Linda Jangula and long-haired chihuahuas. We'll be right back. This show is supported by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who has created many different low-dust litters for the health of all members of the family, for the special needs of every cat from kittens to old kitties, and long-haired and those with out-of-litter box problems who can get back in the box with Cat Attract Litter. Precious Cat's new litter, Touch of the Outdoors, is made with field grasses grown in their own fields, bringing the natural scent of the outdoors to provide environmental enrichment for indoor cats. This show is also brought to you by Vivimmune Chews, a natural supplement using Oxy-C Beta, a new active ingredient based on oxidized beta-carotene found in foods like red and orange vegetables. Vivimmune is a chewable that has been scientifically proven to support immune function in dogs and cats with the main benefits to joints, skin, and digestion, usually seen within a month. Modern life creates many stressors on a pet's immune system, which is further challenged as they age, and Vivimmune can help pets lead the healthiest possible life. I am back with Linda Jangula from Texas, who breeds mostly long-haired chihuahuas at Chihuahuas We Love, which is, uh, the website is just more cute dogs than you ever saw in your whole life. But what really touched me was that Linda got in touch because she listened to the show on Dog Talk and read in the newsletter about my failed adoption of the four-year-old Weimaraner male who was such an unsocialized dog and, and such an a unstable, un, unsafe dog that it, it went very bad. And, and Linda wrote and said, I, I really feel for you. And we've had to take back some dogs. And sometimes it's worked out really well. And I thought, Chihuahua breeder, I've never met a Chihuahua breeder. We, we have the meet the breeder part of this show and haven't done it for a long time. So Linda in Texas, welcome to the show. It's very exciting to have a Chi-Chi woman here because... I never knew where all these chihuahuas came from, and now I know a lot of them have come from Texas, right? <laughs> Quite a few of them do, and thank you, Tracy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you're so welcome. Just There's, there's a state, and it's, it's sort of escaping me. There's a couple of states where there's apparently tons of chihuahuas flooding into the rescue shelter world. Is that something unusual or just something that I read about on the Internet? I, I didn't understand where would so many chihuahuas come from. They obviously, aren't your beautifully bred chihuahuas where you look into the, every owner and make sure they're going to be a good home. Are, exactly. there, are there a huge number of chihuahuas wandering around shelters? I believe that there are, and particularly out on the West Coast in the California area, I hear that there are multiples of them out there in the shelters, and it's really a shame. They are a um, fantastic dog, and yes. they, they make excellent pets. And they're a pet for, it's very hard to find a small dog in the shelter. And it's, and, and a Chihuahua is a breed that seems to be, if they're properly raised, not just bred, but then raised so that they don't stay in someone's arms all the time and become snappy. They're a bold and brave and hilarious little dog, aren't they? Oh, you know, they are. And our little guys, we have a litter of four little puppies right now, and they're going on seven weeks old and they are the most cutest little guys and fun to play with, but you're absolutely right. They have to be raised properly, and when they are, they're 
just fantastic, well-socialized dogs. The problem is a lot of people don't socialize them, and they do have a tendency to maybe put them on a pedestal or expect things from them that that just should not be. They, um, They are fantastic being a dog. And I say that with all the love and all the nurture that you can possibly muster up for them. But there are a lot of people that think, you know, they have to dress them up and they have to put them in the cute little pockets. And I've had several people who want to take one to school with them. They want to, if they're college students, you know, to take them right there with them. And that's okay to a degree, but they do need to get their exercise and allow for their freedom. So what happens is, is that a Paris Hilton type person, whatever we mean by that, she sort of disappeared from the landscape, but she came to be thought of as the woman who had a little dog that then got too big for her. So she gave it away and got a smaller version of whatever that dog was. It wasn't a Chi-Chi, I don't think. I hope not. But the idea that they are an accessory that goes around in a bag or a purse, and some of these dogs seem to never, their feet never touch the ground, and it is disrespectful respectful because they're they're bold brave strong-minded little dogs that want to run and play like like a labrador retriever wants to run and play and and exactly. how important is it for you as a breeder when you're choosing people to be the owners of your dogs to talk to them about keeping these dogs on the ground and letting them be dogs is 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 that a big part of your message to them well it is and there is um there, there are a certain amount of people, class of people, who uh, do want to purchase them as the accessories, and we stay away from that completely. Um, you will find some of the breeders on the internet; they'll maybe sell the puppy for five, ten thousand dollars. Excuse me. Promote those them. are the numbers. Oh yes, oh yes. To promote them. Uh, as little accessories like that. Now, you won't wow. find on our site promoting like that. We don't do crossbreeds. We don't do um, the exception like that. And I try to encourage people because they want a little pocket puppy. They want the smallest that they can possibly get. And that's not healthy. Correct. Um, because those pocket puppies, those um, tiny little ones, are the runts of the litter. That's yes. basically what they are. They are the rent of the litter. And I try not to breed those. As a matter of fact, I won't right. breed a female that's under four pounds. That's not to say I won't have puppies under four pounds, but I don't breed anything under four pounds. If they don't reach four pounds, that's it. They're going like to be a neutered, a neutered or a spayed pet. Yes, yes, exactly. And I like to stay in that four to six pound range. That's a good, healthy puppy. You're not getting into... The um, the health issues that right. you would if you're going for one of the little teacups, and I know that's hard for people to understand because they think I'm going to get a little teacup. It's not a mouse. It's not. It's not a rodent. It that's is right. a dog. That's right. And they have special needs, and they need to be tended to. That's absolutely so, yes. true. And, and the word teacup is a word that in the dog Bible I speak about often. Any any breeder, so-called breeder, they're usually mass production uh, factory farmed dogs. Mm-hmm. They refer mm-hmm. to teacup, they're already showing you that they are irresponsible and ignorant because teacup doesn't mean anything. Teacup poodle, teacup Maltese. It means that they have taken runs of the litter and bred the smallest dogs to the smallest dogs, taking the weakest members of the litter and, exactly. and amplifying that weakness. 
Your long-haired chihuahuas are amazing looking. They look so different from the nude chihuahua, which I know is not the proper <laughs> term at all. I realize that, but I just like to say that because the, the long-haired ones look like they're properly dressed compared to their brothers who are like naked. And I, that's it. It just it's just a beautiful look. I know that you also have a German Shepherd, right? I just love you breeders who she, she uh, there's German a breeder of a Japanese chin who was on the pointer. Yeah. Oh, right. German short hair pointer. pointer. Right. I, I, I knew there was something. Uh, uh-huh. A cousin of a, a distant cousin or not so distant cousin of, of my Weimaraners. But there was a gal who was on who breeds Japanese chins. And she's the one who had a German Shepherd as her own pet dog. I think it's so funny. You guys breed these little tiny dogs and then you have <laughs> a big, strong outdoor hunting dog. Probably because that's really you just see the Chihuahuas as a German short-haired pointer in a much smaller costume. I mean, they are well, just believe- a dog. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But they, um, you know, it was funny because when we when we had Emma, the German short-haired pointer, uh, when we took her to the animal communicate communicator, and we were visiting with her, she said uh, amongst several things. She said, "Is there a lot of chatter in your household?" And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, well, it's just my husband and myself. We don't have the grandkids or anything. Right. But, you know, we do have a four-legged kid. So I'm like, mm, you might say that. Right. And it was so funny because she turned me and she said, Emma puts her own earmuffs on. She doesn't oh. pay attention to them. She doesn't mind the chatter or anything. Oh, that's so darling. And it was so, so funny darling. because... That's just exactly it. She ignores them, and you know they they can lay on her and walk all over her, and she just she just there enjoying. <laughs> Chihuahuas make a great addition to a house where there's already a larger dog. If you just don't have room or space or what have you for multiple large dogs, you know you can have one large and little ones, and they do great together if they're raised properly, introduced properly, and and the older dog. It's right. taught, you know, the little ones are breakable. You could, they're squishable if you're if you're not careful. I do want to point out to people that at the Pooch Party for the Dog Film Festival, we will have Anne Marie Sawicki, the amazing animal communicator who was on Dog Talk with me for a long time and on Cat Chat on Sirius XM with me for a long time. So, those of you who want to meet her in person and have your dog meet her in person, you got to come to the Pooch Party. And speaking of the Pooch Party, the Pooch Party I had ten years ago at the W Hotel, there were so many dogs peeing on the carpet. I was mortified <laughs> and embarrassed. And I saw that you have actually created something that I've talked about on the show, and I never knew of a brand to actually say to people, this is developed by somebody who's a real dog owner, breeder, you know, That's knowledgeable it. person. And you have wiki wags, these dog belly bands. I, I talked on the show about it to Joan Rivers because her Pekingese Max he lifted his leg uh-huh. on her, you know, $4,000 curtains. And then right. they go to the dry cleaner, come back and pee on them again. The idea of putting a belly band on these little little or large dogs who mark in the house, it has a disposable kind of diaper that goes in uh-huh. it and then that gets thrown away. It's, uh-huh. It seems exactly. a really great idea because there are some male dogs that cannot help themselves. If it's at the vet or at someone else's house, they'll lift their leg. It's, it's mortifying, not to mention in your own house. Is this something yes. you develop because... Chihuahuas have some housebreaking issues, or is that not what inspired you? Um, Chihuahuas, obviously, uh, people are afraid to train them, or they don't know how to train them until they get older. And by the time they get older, it's too late. They need to be searched. Like my my seven-week-old puppies now are 98% housebroken to the pillow pet. Oh, my goodness. But that's because I train 
I, I train from birth on. It's a process that we use, and it just is a natural thing. But a lot of uh, people, now, my issue with the chihuahuas and the urination in the house was, even though my guys were perfectly trained and very good, once I had a female come in heat, all that training went out the window. Right. And, you know, they just wanted to mark on everything. And I said <laughs> to my husband, I like a clean house. I mean, just because I'm a breeder, I don't want my house smelling and, and God, no. looking like that. So um, I tried everything on the market like everybody else did, and I couldn't get anything that actually worked. Well, I mean, so the, I one, the husband, one that Max had, he knew how to rub it off, the rub it away, the Velcro. Yeah. So, his, so his, his urination equipment was still exposed. Right. And so we, did, we took all of the um, problems that we found with the other products and worked out those problems with our wraps. And our guys actually wore the wraps for a year and a half before we started marketing them. Because you didn't, there want, will you didn't be, want to, to create a product and then have a lot of returns and crabby things. Right. People write something right. on the Internet and then it's there forever and you're ruined. That was pretty smart. Right. You had we your own want test to create. Yeah, we didn't want to create another problem that was a problem added to the shelf that's already there. So, yes, we knew that when we were ready to go with them, we knew that they were a product that worked. Now, I will say, getting back to Max rubbing them off or, or rubbing one off, right. um, with, our, with ours, we have the dual gussets inside. And so it helps hold them in place so the diapers don't spin on them. And also it helps because if they go and, you know, a male will hoist his leg, and if it's a flat wrap, then they key out from under or spray out from underneath it, or they get the wrap itself wet. Well, they can't do that with this because it does wick that urine away from the body. And like it has like a really good child's diaper does. Yeah, right, exactly. And now I have, out of my males, I have my very smallest little guy, little King Arthur, who loves, he will roll over on his back and let you change his diaper, whatever, <laughs> just like a baby. I mean, he absolutely loved it. But anyway, you know, it's not a Paris Hilton thing. I'm not bad. No, that, I but. know. It's King Arthur. <laughs> and if King Arthur isn't covered up, he's going to make his him, himself That's known. right. That's right. That's now, what hilarious. what we do with him, because he likes to get under covers and stuff, you know, and then sometimes if you have a tab that will get caught on the, on the seat or the blanket, it, he can work his way out of it. But I want to say to those folks who do have an issue with that, whether it's whatever brand that they're using, the way to solve that, put a T-shirt on them, a little doggy T-shirt. Oh, what a good idea. It That's a great idea. Because when I was taking, actually, the reason we met was around that that poor poor dog that just uh, I couldn't handle and had to bring to a shelter for them to evaluate and deal with him. And I was looking at some of the dogs that were there for adoption because, of course, I'm going to look at them just because mm -hmm. one has to. And there was a dog wearing a kind of a, a male diaper because it turned out he could not be housebroken. And, and even in his nice plexiglass fronted little room, it was like a little personal room, was was wetting. And his had totally he rubbed it off and it was totally off. And, you mm -hmm. know, I, there are these situations like a dog like that couldn't get adopted without wearing a diaper. And I'm, and right. I'm thinking that with a good trainer, you could have a wiki wags for a dog with a problem and work in with positive reinforcement with a trainer to constantly reinforce that dog to go outside. And then maybe only put the wiki wags on when you leave the house, when he's not under right. your direct observation, right. which is how you house break when they're young anyway. Right. Right. And we do, we work with a whole lot of 501 3Cs 
and because they're into the rescues. And as we know, the majority of the males that are in the shelters are in there because of such habits like this. And so they're looking for ways to be able to put those dogs into homes. Right. It would be permanent homes for them. And so we uh, wholesale, anyone who is in the rescue business and has the 5013C, we wholesale to them. That's we nice. We give them the discount as well as just like the stores to help them. And that was one of the uh, things that we wanted to do with the WikiWags brand was to be able to help the shelter animals. Now, we took in... In November, just prior to uh, the holiday, we ran across a situation and we had to place, uh, it was a puppy mill, and we placed 12 females, uh, nine puppies and three mamas, and then we went back for the males, and I could only take three males at a time. Males are hard to place in situations like this. We took those from the puppy mill and you know the deplorable issues and places yes, where they're horrible. at. And they have no training, no upbringing, no That's socialization. Right. So we took them in and we have socialized them. Oh, my gosh. We put a WikiWags on them. They now are they're ready for adoption. But they sleep in bed with us. They've learned what indoor is all about. Nice. They learn what, what love is. And uh, it really is. And, you know, it's it's nice because... The other dogs help teach them. Yes. Well, the, the, the great thing is to learn how many breeders, with all the time and effort and energy and money you put into properly breeding and raising your litters, mm-hmm. that you reach mm-hmm. out to the larger community and you rescue and you take in and you help place and you help reorient your breed yes. of dog that comes from awful places. And I just have to say that it's one of the, th- one of the many things that I love about great breeders that, that many people don't even understand that it's right. not a money-making operation. It is truly a work of passion and love. And if you love that breed you love, you'll do anything to make them That's right. the best they can mm-hmm. be, put mm-hmm. them in the best possible home. And it's mm-hmm. great to recognize the limitations that very small dogs like this have because people don't interact with them in an intelligent way because they look at them as something other than a dog. And, you know, right. anyone who's really known a Chihuahua personally will know it's like, I'm a dog lady. Don't don't be making any <laughs> mistake about that. It's wonderful to have you here, Linda. It's so wonderful, the work that you do and you take in dogs from rescue and shelters and rehoming and find other homes for them. It's just, it's a full-time job and around the clock and our our hats are really off to you. I, anyone that wants to find Chihuahuas, we love. They're so cute. There'll be a link to it uh, with the you. podcast of this show. And I know you're not looking for homes for your puppies. I'm sure you have a long waiting list, but it's great for people to know because you never know when, when someone that said they wanted a puppy has a change of life and, and suddenly there's a puppy available. They're so dear. And, uh, and you just got to promise if you get a Chihuahuas, we love puppy that uh, you will let all four of those paws be on the ground a great deal of the time, no matter how tempting it is to pick them up. Linda, That's thanks right. so much for being here. And, and love you, to all Tracy. those dry little chichis. I hope you get a nice rest with so many of them in the bed with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having you take me. Take care. It was a great pleasure. Thank you all for listening. Kiss your kitties, hug your pooches, and we'll be back next week with more. Take care.